All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Uh, today's guest is Mark Conrad. He is a franchise owner of Express Employment Professionals out of the Houston Bay Area. I know Mark um, from the best and brightest companies you work for in Houston, and he's also serves on the Texas board for the program. Um, Mark is well-versed in everything talent, and I have learned a lot from you over the years, Mark, um, but welcome to the program. Wow, I'm just glad to be here, glad to be here. All right, let's, let's get into it. You are a talent guru, uh, and let's go straight to the pink elephant in the room. What the heck is happening out there with talent? Some people are letting people go in masses. Some, some companies are uh, hiring like crazy and they can't find talent. What, what's going on? What are you seeing? Well, it's, uh, it's funny that you say that. The reasons, I, I guess, when you start looking at it, they're, they're complex and they're broad um with uncertainty that's creating somewhat of a cautious optimism in the market um uh, with a pending recession looming uh, whether we're in one or not there's people that will say one thing or another um, you use the r word i should have banned that word from the program but it's <laughs> can't will it away right i think uh it depends on the company uh, and the industry and their efforts of trying to balance the economy, um, their current and future supply chain disruptions that are still going on uh, and the shortage that currently exists in the labor market. Um, I think the top issues of companies uh, is still the worker shortage in supply. There's still an issue that's there. Um, and we still have a workforce shortage. If you take a look, last count, I think I had heard is that there's two job openings for every available worker. Um, and so depending on the industry that you're in, um, the current demand uh, for what's being provided um, and that worker shortage, uh, or shall I say in some cases, it's a, it, there's a talent gap, um, which is the desired knowledge and the skill set and the experience that's needed. Uh, but there's been a lot of shifts that have happened with all the COVID, um, and yeah. that's been a bit of a tipping point. Um, the market still hasn't settled down, um, and I think in the labor market and the companies, um, their focus is on costs because of inflation, um, the market, the potential that exists, but a lot of it depends on that industry that they're in. Um, yeah, which specifically, what industries do you see hiring and which industries do you see not hiring right now? Well, I see there's still a shortage in the durable goods manufacturing, um, wholesale and, and trade and retail, um, education, um, health services, obviously. Um, they still have the, the labor shortages. Um, and yeah. These industries have more unfulfilled openings, I would say, than unemployed workers um, and you know with the experience in the respective industry um, highest job openings for labor shortage transportation industry the healthcare, the social services the accommodation the food industry uh, or leisure and hospitality that, that people will call it uh, conversely i think that construction mining industries um, there's a labor shortage um, but on the flip side there is We've seen drops in financial 
um, and insurance jobs. Um, companies that benefited from low mortgage rates, for instance. So the market shifted um, and yeah. home buying, um, mortgage refinancing spree that we had, um, the retail stock trading frenzy that we went through uh, during the pandemic. Um, and you know, the experiences, they, they experienced a hiring boom, um, but now with the interest rates and the changes that were made um, with the Federal Reserve, uh, the expense of borrowing money, um, these have all resulted in a trend that's reversed that. Um, you know, I, I think jobs and finance and insurance grew rapidly during the pandemic, um, but they've fallen. Uh, I think the last count was somewhere around 40% um, yeah. from the rest of the labor market. Well, I think you said two really interesting things thus far. I, the first word that you used was uncertainty. I mean, hasn't that been the theme for the last two and a half, three years? And then there is, two and, to one ratio is, is pretty, oh, geez, two to one. It, yeah. That's frustrating from an employer perspective. Well, and I would say that that's probably the biggest word that most people I hear is that frustration. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> And a large majority of CEOs, they are planning for a downturn, um, in some cases reducing headcount, um, particularly around marketing and advertising. Um, but for many, the downturn just hasn't arrived yet. Uh, so yeah. there's still a shortage. Uh, we still have like more. We're at, the beginning. We're, we're at the beginning at whatever change is happening. So um, when, when certain industries are letting go and others are hiring, there's usually some sort of delay in the market conditions as well as size of employer. The big guys go first and then a few months later, the small guys get in there as well. Let, let's talk about another disconnect, another pink elephant, so to speak. Um, there is a big difference between what job seekers want and need and what employers want and need. Um, it's been cloned the um, great divide. Um, tell us your thoughts on that. Where are you? Are you seeing that? You know, when you're connecting people, are you seeing uh, some frustrations from employers of I'm hiring this person with these skill sets at this salary and they don't have it, and then the person that doesn't have it um, wants more um, compensation and benefits and perks than in the past. What are you seeing in, in what's called the Great Divide? Well, I, I would say in one word that we talked earlier about, and you mentioned it was frustration. That's probably <laughs> the easiest way to explain it. It's funny, we all experienced COVID-19, uh, which transformed the workplace and the job search altogether. Um, then we had the Great Resignation, uh, which where millions of employees resigned from their position to find a, you know, something better. Um, now, just when you know you may have thought the job market couldn't get any crazier, we have this what's called the Great Divide, uh, which is probably one of the most concerns of all. Um, and if you're a business owner, you're frustrated, uh, looking to fill one or more positions. You get applications and bodies uh, for the positions, but you're struggling to find the right fit for the need and the team um, and you know it's not only important to find the right candidate for the job but it's also imperative that they mesh with the rest of the team and the culture that exists in the company now if on the other hand if you're um, the job seeker um, you're also frustrated um, 
if you're searching for a new job, which many of them are starting to, you know, that are looking, uh, they're frustrated. They may be looking for a more suitable place to work. Uh, maybe you want to work 100% remote, uh, or at least have some options to work uh, a few days from the home. Perhaps, you know, you're, you're seeing an entirely, or you're wanting to do an entirely different career opportunity. But I think the frustration that exists is the want and the need, and some job seekers are not able to or willing to retool themselves because they, it's the skill match. Um, and I think the frustration that sets in is when you continually hear that, well, there's jobs out there um, and they're to be filled and everyone is hiring. Um, but as an employer, it's frustrating or discouraging to know that there's millions of candidates looking for work. However, yeah, neither of you are able to find the right fit. It's almost like two different roads that people are on. Because right. we see a lot of people that are looking for work that says they can't find the work. But well, on the employee's support. perspective as well, I, I mean, there's been so much change that they've had to adapt to a hybrid work, fully remote work, fully in-person work, um, different subcultures going on, things constantly changing and shifting, not only in the employment world and the, within their companies, but outside as well. And so many factors going on right now. Um, what are you seeing as best practices related to recruitment and retention as it relates to employers? What are, you know, if you could share some of those best practices, what are people doing out there that's really working? Well, I, I guess from a general overview is, um, there's obviously recruitment and retention. There's this bit of a chicken and an egg that's, <laughs> that's there. Um, Focus on recruitment and retention strategies that actually work to start with, because there's a lot of things that don't work. Um, I encourage both the clients that we work with, but also you know listeners, flip that and focus first on the retention, um, and then the recruitment. Because um, if you can retain the employees that you've got, that reduces the work yeah. that you're going to have to do to recruit new ones. Um, so from a retention standpoint, obviously there's a number of elements that exist. Uh, it's one of the best values that I think I've gained out of the best and brightest um, because it is, it is a key component. Um, and it's probably the single most important thing to ensure that success in the business is to keep people. Turnover is expensive. Um, I think last count it was $57,000 um, cost to rehire and lost productivity that exists. Um, I think- They're minimum. Nearly, Lost and, of business opportunity. Yeah. Um, it does start that making sure that you find the right people, or shall I say, or find people, but also the right people, because that's been a key component. Um, good recruitment um, means you know you've got if you get fewer problems in retentions, but getting the right people in the right job and mm -hmm. they're on the market, it'll impact retention in a way. Um, so, so let's talk about that. You said your advice to those listening right now is to focus on retention first and uh, foremost. Uh, what we've been saying uh, at the best and brightest is we've been saying not only focus on retention, but focus on identifying who you are. Uh, I almost what is your personality as a company? What are the perks of of working there? What are the intrinsic value and the core values? and putting those into a branding strategy. Um, so we work really hard to 
um, retain clients and here's who we are and here's our value proposition, we need to work just as hard, if not harder, on the same thing with our employees. Uh, so I know a lot of HR teams are, are teaming up with marketing departments. We talked with Kathy Steele in our last CEO um, LinkedIn Live, and she talked a little bit about that from a marketing perspective as a marketing firm. So, um, you know, that's one thing that I would recommend. But, you know, demands for compensation are higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's inflation woes. Um, many are making adjustments on compensation, but many can't. Um, yeah. They're, they're doing the best they can. So more reason to to focus on the non-compensation value. Uh, what have you seen in some of these compensation packages as far as non-salary um, little carrots on the stick? What are you seeing that your clients are doing to adapt to inflation and compensation demands? Well, I, I think one of the things that, that it's, it's, I guess it's the unspoken benefit that might exist that sometimes is there that's appreciated, um, but it's not necessarily promoted well enough. So you mentioned the marketing side of it. There's some people that don't realize what they do have. Right. Um, and you know, I, I think some companies are moving to a point where they're creating um, creating some visibility um, on those benefits that they're providing um, and maybe looking at it from a whole standpoint of, you know, here's the benefit, here's the program you have of the compensation that not only includes the salary, but also the other things that are bonuses, uh, the SPIFs that might exist is to realize all the different areas that the value does apply, the benefits, the, the flex time, the visibility, the uh, opportunities that are available um, you know I think some of that happens in the background and it's there but it's not promoted or recognized well enough um, yes like if a tree mean. falls in the forest did it really fall right yeah. now I think also there's many companies that are reevaluating some of the perks that do exist um, they're shifting who gets those perks because the pressures of the economic and the inflation side, they're having mm-hmm. to find ways to be able to save, but yet still increase compensation. Um, I think when you hire somebody at the entry level, the struggle is, is yeah. depending on the number of employees you have, if you hire somebody above where your current employment population is, then you've got to look at, it's not just hiring one person, it's also ensuring that you've got alignment and adjustments that are being made for the current staff that exist. Yeah. Otherwise, that creates additional issues. Well, one increase in compensation across the board now becomes significant. So it's not yeah. just one person, it is the whole company at that point. Um, well, we, well, we're we seeing there too. Oh, sorry about that, Mark. Go ahead. Um, but we're seeing- say, I see companies that have made changes um, with, uh, with salaries, but They've tried to keep up with the inflation rate, but I don't think I don't think any Can't company is near where the well, that's inflation the problem. Rate is. If you keep up with the inflation rate and everything going on in the world, um, when something bad happens, and this has always been my philosophy, is you you don't want to let people good people go, right? So you have to be creative. I mean, you have to have some ingenuity around it. However, saying that the hourly um, 
personnel and, and staff, usually that requires increases. Um, salary, what we're seeing is more, more companies um, being creative if they're able to, if they're able to take, have give extra days off or uh, reduce work schedules or whatever they can do, um, sabbaticals, paid vacations, whatever they can do to remain competitive, paying 100% of healthcare versus a percentage, you know, there's all kinds of little things that they can do. But to your point, there's some companies that don't know what they have. Um, would you recommend how how would you recommend they find out what they have should they survey employees should they hire someone like you i mean what, what I, I, would you I, I would say both i mean you mentioned the conversations with employees i mean that becomes a key component a lot of times the the issues are right underneath your nose but you don't necessarily uncover them keep an eye on the competition you got to know what um, what competition is offering now, I just not just those that sell similar products or services, but every business needs an accountant or a customer service person. Right. So don't fool yourself that you don't need to pay attention to the market. Um, and it's not just pay. Um, uh, in addition to the salary, people are looking for the that flexibility. You mentioned that whether it's working for home, it's doing things that are totally outside the scope if, that you've ever thought about before. Um, but I think a big part of it is have discussions of open transparency with the employer, the employees that you have. Um, yeah. I see a number of companies and I promote it because it's a great value. We often do exit interviews. The problem is it's after the fact, after they're walking out the door, it's difficult to shift. Um, sometimes they might say the reason they're leaving is because of more money. The reality of it is it's not necessarily the money. There's something else that was driving it. Uh, it's just an easy flip. Um, a lot of companies are moving to use do stay interviews versus the exit interviews um, mm -hmm. because you're able to get an idea in advance before it becomes a major issue that moves them to start looking or be open to somebody that advances toward them, um, know what they've got, but also a discussion that, you know, this is a company or I'm working for a company that's going to make that adjustment, that career development, that career pathing. Um, what is it that the employees want? Do you even know? Um, I, I see a lot of companies that start programs, perks, that was of no interest to the employees that they've got. Exactly. exactly. And, and oh. what we're seeing too is um, there's this whole employee experience. So from the moment you talk to them about possible employment through their employment experience and now there's a post-employment experience that people are adding and a lot of a lot of companies are having success hiring employees who have left and getting them back oh, because yeah. the grass was not greener um well, and i recommend hire we can call it hey you heard that here first <laughs> uh, if, and if you have a employee that was a good employee that you lost and it's going to happen um stay in touch with them exactly. and i know it becomes easy to get discouraged and create a you know what you know they left us i mean there was a mindset that i had back in the corporate world years ago if you left us you left us me and too you would never rehire well i used to take it personal I, right and i think in today's world um there is an effort of thinking the grass is greener, but once they leave, they realize that oh, maybe it's not. 
And there's no reason not to stay and stay connected to past employees that you've had um, because stuff changes. Um, and that didn't look quite as well as it was. Money's one thing, but having a miserable job is something totally different. Good points, all good points and all good advice. Let's shift gears a little bit. Um, you, you, while you're giving all this wonderful advice and you're in the industry for talent, um, let's talk about you as, as a CEO and a business owner um, and a leader. Um, you know, I, I think when you're in a room full of CEOs, um, what we do is we share our pandemic stories, our war stories, almost like our scars or our tattoo. Oh, this tattoo's from such and such. I mean, we have um, been through a lot. As you mentioned, there's the uncertainty's been long, the frustration's been long. Um, it seems like a never-ending marathon for CEOs right now. If you could tell us uh, a bit about your observation, observations as a CEO of your own team, and maybe you know share your scar or tattoos with us. Um, tell tell us about your personal um, story in the last couple of years. Well, this this was definitely a deep scar. I know that. Some of them are scratches, but this was was a deep one. I don't something I don't want to go through again. Um, so hopefully it is it is over. Um, but I will have to say that we're better off because we did go through it. Um, our revenues dropped like a rock starting about February March friend March. Uh, we dropped sixty four percent in that second quarter, um, and. We learned the new word of well, you got to pivot. I was so tired of pivoting. Um, mm -hmm. And we ended the business about 40% less than what we had, one of our worst, most challenging years. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually in process of backing away from the business. Um, I'd had a general manager that was in play. Um, but due to burnout, I lost her. Uh, she was also part of my succession plan as far as a, a business plan or an ownership transition, um, which, to be fair, the challenges um, or overwhelming issues that she had in the burnout really was because I had an executive coach that I had with her. She was going through a leadership development program that she was attending, but I think COVID-19 turned out to be the tipping point for the yeah. stress that was there. And for many women, for many women at executive level. And I had a 13 week sabbatical that she took uh, just to renew and kind of kind of get her her, uh, her head straight and where things were at. Um, she had kids and problems with schools and all the stuff that was going on with the kids being tough. home. It was not a good time. Um, she took the 13 weeks, and rested and relaxed, but she did come back and she decided to leave and redirect her career focus in a totally different direction. She would just burn out. Um, and that brought me back into the day-to-day -day business, um, yeah. which I struggled with. Um, we had a large project that happened uh, with the IRS uh, for the PPP um, that I thought, man, we're gonna make it through without any issues. Um, we ramped it, we had it in play. And after the first week, the client that we had backed out of it because they oversubscribed what they needed and none of them were getting any of the work. So we spent a huge amount of time and effort and money and a roller coaster ride up thinking we got it to where it was not 
all the way back down again. So that was a huge struggle. Um, it was different than the recession that that I went through. Um, very, very we different. Similar, we had a similar drop, but I guess I, we were able to adapt. We resized the business activities. We did layoffs. We kind of pulled back, um, and we felt that that was, you know, but we consolidated, we hunkered down. We had an A-team because who was left was the key people in the organization. So there was an energy that was there to rebuild it. Um, and But with COVID, particularly if you did the PPP, your objective was not to let anyone go. And the work levels were low. I think attitudes dropped. Um, work level was so low that there were some people saying, well, why do we have to even come to work? Why, why can't we just stay home and get paid like my neighbor does? So there was this precious that we were being unfair. Um, so there's a lot of things that were going on as it relates to the struggle. It was just a slow, difficult time. Um, we rebuilt. Um, we were fortunate that we had another project that came across uh, that FEMA was supporting. Um, and that project catapulted us, got, us, got the energy back. Uh, right. We'd lost a number of team members, um, but we added some really good ones in back. Um, and since then, we've had, you know, if it wasn't for the downturn that we had, uh, we lost some people that we probably needed to lose, um, but then rebuilt it. And then the project came back that just kind of catapulted us. We end up 2021 in a record year. It was our highest year that we ever had. And yeah. this year, 2022, we beat that by another 40%. That's exciting. Yeah. That's exciting. Well, a few things with your story. Many CEOs that were trying to slow down had to jump back in from an operational perspective, mm -hmm. not only strategy, but operational. So that I've heard that story quite often. And we had a speaker at one of our conferences, um, Andy Simon, who's an expert on blue ocean strategy. And um, she had always said with blue ocean strategy, you need an emergency in order to make change happen and boy did every business experience blue ocean strategy because it forces it it forces you to focus on the things that need fixing and it's just like any pain point when you look back and say gosh that that was really horrible but we're better and stronger now as a result of it so yeah. thank you for thank you for sharing that um so in that vein i i really hope that two generations from now ask us <laughs> you know i hope i hope they ask us and say hey you know i i i'm going through a hard time what should i do but saying that let's say you had um a young person recently graduating or a young person that's an entrepreneur and they want to be an entrepreneur they want to start their own business they run or run their own business um I think they don't get a full picture from society or from education on what's in front of them. What advice would you give them and how would you describe what being an entrepreneur is like? Oh, um, that's a good question. Um, I would say if I, and if I was to look at some of my, at myself, it's, First off, I'd tell them, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Expect and realize what you're going to get into. Yeah. Um, plan that your your success is going to be half of what you think it is. 
and the yeah. cost is going to be double what you had put in as well. Um, yeah. you know, self-reflection, really knowing who you are, I think it's a key component. And I think sometimes it just takes a while before that happens. Um, you know, be humble, be hungry, be smart, um, hire the same people that are humble, hungry, and smart. Um, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to allow your people to make mistakes and then learn from them. Um, yeah, engage with other people that can and want to help uh, in the market because there's a lot of people that have gone through that are out there that are willing to assist a new entrepreneur that's starting up. Um, but sometimes you think you know it all in the beginning and then realize you don't know it all. Um, the only difference between me and some 20 year old that's an entrepreneur is that I've just made a hell of a lot more mistakes than they've made. Um, <laughs> And, don't, you need and, and then don't give success, up right no. you need mistakes in order to have success i mean the faster you crank through those mistakes is the faster to success <laughs> and success is fleeting as, as as an executive or or a business owner um and it's, and it's hard because people oftentimes look at mistakes as an excuse of why it didn't work or what success didn't achieve is because of this and they harbor on the excuse as an excuse or the mistake yeah. excuse versus looking at it as, okay, that's that's just a reason that I failed. But now how do I see what went wrong? How do I actually take ownership of what went wrong? How do I solve it? And then how do I do it? Can you um, give us an example of, of a mistake, a monumental mistake that you made and what your thoughts are on it now? Um, you know, keep it confidential, you know, but what what big mistake did you make? I think, and I've done this, is, is sometimes you want something, but other people don't want something. Um, and that might be, that might be a leader um, and recognizing that, or it might be an employee that you feel can move in a particular direction um, and, you somewhat, I don't want to say manipulate, but you highlight or you move them into a direction. Um, there's been instances where I've hired salespeople that I thought would be great managers just because they were great salespeople. Yeah. Um, only to find out that they didn't want to do it. Um, they wanted to be a salesperson, um, but I moved them into a management role and they, and they failed miserably at the management role. Yeah. And I think the failure is that really understand what is, what do people want? What are they good at? What do they like? Um, what kind of money do they want to make? And is there, there, is there a balance? Is it, did they become, yeah. do they hate it? Uh, and I think I've done a number of instances where I've moved people into a job or a role that it was what I wanted them to do versus what they right. wanted. So how do you handle that now? Now that you've learned that lesson, how do you handle that now? Getting the right people in the right seats with the right ambition? Well, I think career pathing, um, really defining career pathing for staff, um, mm -hmm. having them see the picture in the next three years, the next five years, the next 10 years, uh, show them what the business is intended to look like. Um, and through yeah. conversations in the stay interview, the development process is, find out what they like to do and what they'd like to do more of um, and then mold what the opportunity in the future is 
I mean, mm -hmm. I've always, you know, modeled with a mindset of, of train and develop people so they could leave you, but treat them well enough that they never want to. I think Richard Branson was the one that had, had said that. Um, you know, and taking the time to, to really develop, but also it's not you developing their career, it's you understanding what their development needs to be. Right. Uh, in some cases, you may not have what they're looking for in the future, but then it's a case of learning how to develop that person as a platform to learn all they can to still move to the next level, but you know that they're gonna leave, so there's a good conversation and a relationship that develops off. Yeah. Talk to people, find out what they want. And exactly. sometimes it's such a hard thing to do is that transparent discussion. Exactly. So, you know, we were talking about success and um, your advice for a, <laughs> a young person that wants to, to own a business or be an entrepreneur. Um, what were your monumental moments of success? So let's flip this to the positive. What what things happened in your career that created your success? Uh, I would say defining my reality, um, self-assessment, really knowing what you're good at, what you like to do, and then accepting what you're not good at and what you don't like to do. And then develop a focus to where you spend more time doing what you like and what you're good at. <laughs> But then find people that are opposite from you that are good at what you don't like to do, but they do like to do it and they're good at it. Um, and realizing that uh, and identifying, you know, your strengths. And that was probably my biggest thing is my strengths and my weaknesses. Uh, the strengths developed further can be superpowers, but the weaknesses just try to neutralize the impact. Um, I was diagnosed with uh, ADHD at 57. Um, oh, wow. Both the shock, um, but it helped recognize why I struggled with some of the things that I struggled with, uh, whether it's uh, uh, consistency or persistency on certain issues or loss of attention or um, I, it, it was just a struggle for me, um, yeah. not realizing it until I found out what it was after an assessment that I took. Um, hell, I didn't even know what the word or what the letters stood for, um, but it helped me kind of recognize of some of the issues that I had, but what I'd done to overcome them, um, but then what I needed to hire or have in place just because of what some of those limitations were. Um, That's and it's a made a huge difference. That's a wonderful story. And uh, now neurodiversity within a company is very important. You want people that think differently and their brains are wired differently. Um, and many entrepreneurs and business owners have some neurodiversity because uh, that's what makes them excited about their career path. So thank you for sharing that. That was a great example. Um, let's shift gears again. Uh, we'd like to demystify CEOs out there. Um, the movies sometimes make big bad CEOs and little do they know how um, giving and philanthropic and hardworking we, we really are and how quote unquote normal we are, <laughs> depends on the day. Um, so let's talk about you as a human. Um, what rituals do you do every day? Do you have any rituals? Uh, I do. 
Um, I am an early riser. Um, so I'm usually up at 5.30 in the morning, uh, which gives me a time to kind of collect and connect. Um, I generally walk in the morning. Um, uh, I'll have a daily prayer um, that, that aligns. Um, and I got into journaling. Um, so I spent some time that's doing that. Uh, a little time in the morning. That journaling I'll, or gratitude journaling? Yeah, just journaling, gratitude. And there'll be some questions that I'll stay consistent with. Um, I've, I've kind of started, stopped, started, stopped. It's kind of a, something over the last number of years. But it's interesting to go backwards in a journal and look at the historical component and remember what was going on. And what you recognize is how far you have come that you didn't realize how far that you had come. Um, so there's a lot of different elements that can be of value that over a long period of time, and even if something short, doesn't have to be huge. Um, I think I started it first, oddly enough, when my son was uh, in his final year of high school, um, and I decided I was going to give him a journal for the year of his last year, and I journaled through the whole year. Now, everything that was there from the car wreck that he had, getting into trouble, yeah, that was there as well. But it was a reminder, and then I made it into a book and gave it to him. Yeah. Um, and it just became something that was a graduation present that I took the time every day to write something. It wasn't every day. It might have been every other day or once a week. But there was a, a, a lot of stuff for him to go through from my perspective, and then different points of wisdom were brought out in it as a, as a keepsake. And from that, I moved into the journaling that was more for me um, as a result of that. Nice. Yeah. I can always count on you for wonderful ideas and advice. <laughs> always, Mark. I mean, every time we talk, there's something good. <laughs> um, what do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? I play music. Um, I, I am uh, uh, I'm involved with a retreat or a men's group at church. Um, so I play at church, uh, play with the retreats that we do um, and get into that. And I've played for a lot of years, uh, got away from it for about 15. What do you play? Are you playing? I play, I play guitar and then I sing. Bass or acoustic? What kind of guitar? I, I play a, primarily acoustic, but then a little bit of electric. So it's it's uh, something I enjoy. I played it in college. I've been playing since I was a kid. Uh, I did kind of back away from it for about 15 years because of work and schedule and family and travel and um, expensive guitars I put into a case and they looked very nice, but I never picked them up. Um, and oddly enough, it started with the Nax retreat, a retreat that I did. Uh, and then I started picking up the music again, got involved in church and uh, my son got involved, and he's now playing professionally as a musician. And that's so cool. Uh, oh yeah, we we have a good time with it. So that is so feel... cool. I wish I had known that, you know, <laughs> an hour ago, and I would have had you play something for us. <laughs> I would have required I, that. I, gen I generally have a guitar here. It's actually I used it this weekend, but every every birthday and anniversary at the staff, I've I pull a guitar out and we'll sing happy birthday and that's it's a lot of fun. Oh, that's great. That's great. I too sing happy birthday when I can <laughs> when I'm able. 
Um, but let's talk. Okay, so here's the final question. This is a doozy. You ready? How do you define happiness? Oh, that's a good one. I would say, and I know this is probably a repeat from somebody else. Knowing what you want, but it's getting all that you want out of life, whatever that is, without violating somebody else to get it. Mm, that's nice. Yeah. That's nice. Well, I think we should end with that. As I mentioned, you always give good advice. You're so smart. Um, and it's it's been a pleasure knowing you. And um, gosh, just keep shining bright, Mark. Just keep shining bright. Well, you, you have no idea how much I appreciate the best and brightest. I mean, it's been an organization of involvement that we've had. It's It's been extremely helpful. Um, I mean, that was a mantra that I had uh, to achieve a status level of, of that, but it doesn't stop with just being able to, to get into the best and brightest. It's a case of looking at what can I learn? What more can I do? Um, and how do you make it stronger? Um, whether it's the EOS model that we're going into, but it's there's a lot of different ways that businesses succeed. Um, and it's a benchmark to be able to pull from. And you guys, uh, you're to be applauded for what you put together. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for your time today. Thank you, everyone. We're going to sign off and uh, keep shining bright, everybody. <laughs>